Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. And welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Uh, this is kind of a late recording session for us. Normally we don't uh, record this late, uh, both in the week and the evening, specifically. No, no that, that is very true. We, You know, I used to be quite the night owl in my yep. younger days, and so this would be no big deal for me. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if it was turning 30 or having a baby or a little bit of both. Or both. But um That is not pretend. That is not fake, people. That's the real stuff. So now you know you're in for a really good show. No, that was the <laughs> one I do, and now I'm drinking some uh Diet Coke with whiskey. And uh <laughs> spicing spicing things up a bit. So our daughter's done sleeping. She's over that phase, the sleep phase. She actually, this is true. I haven't told you this yet, Justin. Tonight, Justin and I take turns going in the room and trying to coax her into sleeping for as long as that takes. Yeah. We just keep trading off, an tagging in and out as we yeah. get exhausted. And uh, at one point, I had her in her bed, curled up with her baby Margaret, her favorite stuffed animal, and her blankie. And she was, I thought, drifting. And she sat up pulled off her blanket and looked at me and said, I'm done. <laughs> and I said, what? And she said, I'm finished. Great. With sleep. Yeah. With sleep. With sleep forever. And it's so ironic because the th- the thing about it is, it's like a, maybe this is what people mean when they talk about the generation gap. I would give <laughs> anything for two giants <laughs> to come put me in a bed <laughs> and insist that I go to sleep. Her bed looks so inviting too. Her big girl bed, her toddler. I don't know why. It Maybe it's looks, just because I miss. It's just I miss dark. Sleep. And I miss sleep. And it's Sydney's dark, been on. The bed looks comfy. Hospital service this week, so she's up at six. Anyway, this this we're just sleepy is the point, and we're sleepy all the time. So that's my life. That's where we're at. And this has been your update on how sleepy we are in 2016. But I thought, in in light of the fact that Justin and I are very sleepy. That we should do a sleep-related topic. Oh, uh, cool. I'm not sure we've done a lot of sleep-related topics before. No, I think I sleep think, is fascinating. I, I know you do. I know. Justin tried for a while. I think we may have even mentioned this on the... I think we talked about insomnia before. And that you did that... What is that sleep schedule called that, like, presidents Oh, did? polyphasic sleep. Yeah, I yeah. tried that once. That We're, did not go well. He, he thought that we would just insert into our, our co-life, our couple life, because it is, it is a life conjoined. A that, shared life. That we yeah. share, that he would just sleep every two hours or something? Yeah, or? it's a weird schedule. It's like you, you, uh, it's something like that. It's like every 
three hours, you sleep for 90 minutes or something like that and just keep the train rolling. And that's just our life is that he does that and I sleep like, you know, a regular person. And I I mean, like, we just live like It's worth noting, like, I did not do this for, I may have made it like half a day. Basically, I took a nap in the middle of the day and that was my attempt to polyphase at sleep. So it was the same length of time that you managed to do the juice fast. Yeah, I did the juice fast. That he started on trick or treat. Yeah. I made it. I'm. I basically just had some juice that day, and then <laughs> and then ate trick or treat candy, and that was it. That was it. So um, let's talk about narcolepsy. Okay, let's. Okay. I, I have a, a. Do you have anything to add? You sounded like you were going to start us off. Well, let me kick it off. No, I have a what I would describe as perhaps a layman's understanding of narcolepsy. I don't know if there's more to it, but I from think... from my limited layman's understanding of it, it is people who fall asleep basically uh, when they're not trying to and in inopportune times. I, I think most people kind of get that perception of narcolepsy and they, I think you see images of that. I feel like I've seen that, that kind of trope before like used for comedic effect in, in movies or television shows where someone has narcolepsy. And so the joke is that periodically they're just asleep. And so that's all that people know about it. Mm-hmm. It's actually a little more complicated than that. Um, and there are a lot of people who wanted us to talk about narcolepsy. So thank you to Ellie and Erica and Brett and Jessalyn and Sarah and Allison and Allie for recommending this topic. And I think there were probably many others on Twitter and Facebook because it's not it's not very common. I think it, it's actually considered kind of a rare disorder. I don't it's like one in 2,000 people. I don't maybe. think I've ever known anybody. You ever known anybody or treating anybody that had it? Uh, I personally know two people that do. Really? Yeah. Wow. And so... There you go. Anybody I know? Well, I mean, we no, you don't. No, okay. But yeah, no, but I do, and um, I have taken care of people with it. So I, I saw some numbers that were way more common than that. I don't know. Maybe that is a point of dispute. It's still not completely understood, so you find that. You know, like people don't really know they have it because there can be different flavors, different variations. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what narcolepsy is before I kind of give you the history. So first of all, the term narcolepsy comes from the... Greek word narc or narke, narc. Something like to to sleep, sleepy something. Well, close to enough. Stupor, to numb. stupor, numbness. I'm thinking of narcotics. Yeah, where I'm same going. same root word. Okay, you know, narc, and then um, lepsis, which means like attack or seize. Okay, so an so. attack of numbness or stupor, stupor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or sleep attack is what sleep it was attack. called at times throughout the literature. You'll see it referenced that people had sleep attacks, and they're talking about narcolepsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, since the 1950s, we've really had a, a pretty good definition of what it is. Now we're still trying to understand what causes it to this day. But as far as like how do you diagnose somebody with it? Uh, Yasin Daly at the Mayo Clinic defined what we consider the classic tetrad, the classic symptoms. Okay. Uh, and those are excessive daytime sleepiness. Okay. So people with narcolepsy are going to feel pretty tired most of the day. Okay. Um, untreated, especially. Uh, cataplexy. What's that? Cataplexy and, and what people think of as like sleep attacks uh, get confused a lot. So, yes, people with narcolepsy are sleepy a lot, and so they may take uh, frequent naps. 
and they may fall asleep very easily or very quickly during those naps, which I think is kind of what you see depicted on television, like mm-hmm. the idea that somebody would just be sitting there and then have their head on their desk and passed out asleep. Um, but I think it often gets confused with cataplexy, which is when you basically just lose all muscle tone and drop to the floor. And it's usually in response to some sort of extreme emotion. Uh, it can be laughter, it could be stress, it could be excitement, it could be anything, and you just lose all muscle tone and hit the floor. Yikes. But that's not but you're not asleep. So that's actually separate from the Oh, so the frequency like worse. Yes. Okay. And not everyone with narcolepsy has cataplexy. You don't have to have all of these things to have narcolepsy, um, but these are kind of the most common things you'll see. And some people have all four. Uh, sleep paralysis is another common symptom, which means you're awake, but you can't move. Okay. And it's very scary. We'll talk a little bit is more that about that. Is that different from cataplexy? Yes, because cataplexy is... You're awake during the day, you're walking around, talking, doing things, extreme emotion, bam, you're on the floor. Sleep paralysis is either while you're trying to fall asleep or while you're waking. Okay, got it. Uh, And then there are also something that are very common. You can have these outside of narcolepsy, but with narcolepsy are hypnagogic hallucinations, which just means when you're falling asleep. There are hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations and the hypnagogic ones are the ones when you you're starting to drift off to sleep and you can hear things or see things they can be very upsetting and unsettling weird um everybody can have those from time to time but with narcolepsy they're much more frequent Mm -hmm. Uh, many patients don't have all the symptoms only only about a quarter a fifth to a quarter have all of them Uh, And then there's this proposed fifth symptom that you can see in a lot of patients with narcolepsy, which is basically their their sleep at night is just disturbed. It's just they have very abnormal sleep patterns if we were to watch their brain waves. I wonder if that's like a causation of just getting like your circadian rhythms getting thrown off. Well, that's part of it. Like a side effect, I guess. And it is. It's one of those vicious cycles because of the disorganized sleep patterns throughout the day and then at night and and but you see a lot of people who you know if we look at what we consider their sleep architecture which is when we map your brain waves as you descend through the levels of sleep and then come back up to the more you know stages of wakefulness um a lot of people with narcolepsy it does not go in an orderly fashion which is probably part of why they feel they feel so tired too Mm -hmm. Uh, but it all feeds into each other now this may have been mentioned as far back as the early 1600s when Thomas Willis wrote about certain patients that he saw, he was a physician, and he saw patients who had a sleepy disposition who suddenly fall fast asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he was probably talking about, probably, patients who had narcolepsy. Either that or Jughead was who I thought of. Maybe he was talking about Jughead from Archie Comics. Yeah, maybe this was the earliest mention, <clears throat> history's earliest mention of Jughead. That would be a very... Very 1600s, early 1600s, we have very, very early mention of Jughead. Jughead would need to be like a Time Lord or something. As to uh, oh no, Jughead, oh no, your is eyes just went Lord. wide as saucers. <gasps> the next doctor, the next doctor is oh, Jughead. Gotta be Jughead. Oh, that is a crossover. My nerd brain just exploded. <laughs> if I was the kind of person who had artistic talent or was um, apt to draw fan art. Yeah, please send us your fan. <laughs> please send me a picture of Jughead as the doctor. And tweet please. that to Sydney McElroy. Because uh, I can't draw. Uh, 
So th- either way, that Thomas wasn't Willis. No, it wasn't. Either way, he suggested caffeine. Well, does that work? Does it help? I mean, it'll keep you awake better. Yeah, I, I guess that's yeah. true. I mean, when we didn't have anything better, it wasn't a it wasn't a terrible idea. The first better descriptions of, of narcolepsy we see in 1878 and 1888 by two German physicians, Westfall and Fisher, specifically Westfall, who wrote a lot about this. And he noted that there were um, these episodes of muscle weakness and that they could be triggered by strong emotions. This is where we get the cataplexy entering mm-hmm. in. Um, and he wrote a really thorough description of it, which was very helpful, you know, to try to understand what is this disorder. Um, but at the same time, he he linked it to a lot of the emerging psychoanalytic theories of mm-hmm. that time period. I thought it was more of a, something psychological, basically, that was happening with these people. And specifically, he had somebody else, like he, he, he mentions one patient who probably had narcolepsy, and then he talks about another patient who probably didn't, but he links them together and then blames it on uh, excessive masturbation causing sleepiness. Um, I don't know. I mean, that is not a cause of. Okay, got it. Narcolepsy. I have a, I have a, th- <laughs> I have a theoretical question for you, and I don't want to derail you because uh-huh. uh, we're running behind. But you talked about the first doctor, uh, Thomas Willis, who described it as patients with a sleepy disposition who suddenly fall fast asleep. I think there's a, a very human impulse, and we see it a lot in medicine to, um, to to talk about things in terms of nature back then, and then as we learn more, to turn them into diagnoses. Do you first off is that right that we that we that things tend to evolve from oh they have a nature towards something towards it turning into a diagnosis, and is that do you think that's necessarily helpful? For 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 people to to be able to quote unquote diagnose themselves rather than think of themselves as having a a nature one way or the other. I think it's a double edged sword. I think that I mean when you're talking about historically, because that you're right that there are a lot of diseases disorders that we would just think like well that's how people are that's just who they are they're like that um, and we blamed it on they were too negative or they were too anxious or they worried too much or whatever and. Um, that was because we didn't understand, uh, you know, anything about what was happening inside the body. Certainly nothing on a molecular level, on a DNA level, biochemistry eluded us. So at that time, I think it, you know, it was not helpful at all because Uh it just made you say, well, your problem is that you got to get your thinking straight or you've got to, you know, it led to things like you got to go to church more or something like that. And that'll fix your medical condition. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it is important to remember now because I talk to people a lot about that. I would say a good example would be something like anxiety. There are people who have anxiety and then there are people who, you know, we might say things like they're just a bit of a worrier and they do. And there might be more prone to having, you know, anxiety about isolated events than someone else, but it doesn't interfere with their daily life. It is just kind of just the person they are, but they still are happy and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. interfere with anything. Makes sense. And I think that that's a big difference from someone who has anxiety and who needs treatment for that. So I talk to patients a lot about that, the difference between this is who you are and then this is something that needs treated. Okay. I hate to derail you. You just finished talking about the guy who loved to masturbate all the time. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to stop talking about him. Great. Instead, <laughs> Great. I mean, I'm sure he's a rich character. 
with uh, uh, multiple layers. But I want to talk about uh, our really a lot of uh, where the the interest in narcolepsy and the research started was from 1888 or 1880. Sorry, by Jean Baptiste Edouard uh, Gelano. Okay. Which is just a lovely name. Yeah. So trips off the tongue. He was a physician who studied a lot of different things, but um, one thing that he wrote a description of was narcolepsy. He observed this wine merchant that he was taking care of, who he wrote about how he was tired all day long, and he had up to 200 episodes a day of sleep attacks. Okay. Now, he was probably combining the sleeping and the cataplexy in this patient. He probably wasn't distinguishing in this description. Um, but but one way or another, this guy 200 times a day was not being able to do his job. Hachi machi. He had previously been diagnosed with, in the writing, he says he, you know, that we thought he had morbus uh, sacer, which is the sacred disease, which was epilepsy. Oh, right. Because we've talked about before epilepsy with its, you know, kind of origins. And we talk about it biblically and the idea that epilepsy comes from something divine or beyond us. Mm -hmm. Um, It was affecting his life so much that he actually would keep his 13-year-old son with him at all times at work to wake him up. Oh, wow. So take your son to work day every single day. Every single day to keep dad awake. To to keep you awake, right. Um, He did, it's interesting because when you read this description of narcolepsy, he, he writes that the man... Uh, claims that his infant son was conceived, and the way they they say it is that it was during a moment that he was overtaken with the disease. <laughs> He's, he was asleep. So he was asleep, asleep. is what he was I mean, saying. He was that he actually that his his wife conceived a child while nice he try. was asleep. That's nice right, um, <laughs> uh, You know, and that could have just been. It, it it wouldn't be uncommon, especially with extreme emotions, for him to have maybe postcoitally. Had a had cataplexy that could have happened. Sure, yeah. Or just fell asleep really quickly. Or maybe he just fell asleep. You know that happens to people sometimes. <laughs> uh no comment. He had <laughs> he had many episodes of what was uh, likely cataplexy, and those were well described. Like he went through a lot of different situations that could do that. So playing cards and having a good hand, specifically. <laughs> The um, worst, the worst bluff possible, like the <laughs> easiest tell you could possibly have. Like they go to him, they're like, "Are you? Are you are in? You, are you gonna out, fold? Are you? are you gonna?" And he hits the floor, and you're Gunk. like, "Well, I'm out." <laughs> All right, yeah, he, yeah, he. Uh, I'm betting it's that. Okay. Uh, smiling at someone poorly dressed in the street. <laughs> Have we all been there, though? It's a nervous reaction. You don't want them to know what you really think. I get it. I like that. That's a reaction formation and then cataplexy. So uh, being surprised by a sudden danger. That makes sense. Anticipating the pleasure of a good play in the theater. Uh, oh man, I I know that that puts me to sleep. It plays a lot. And Can you imagine if that if that if that is a trigger for cataplexy? And narcolepsy was more common. There would just be like people laying on the sidewalk outside of Hamilton. Yeah. Daily. Uh, Most notably, um, they describe in depth him looking at monkeys making faces in the zoo and having an event. That's enough to put him to sleep? Uh, Well, no, these are the cataplexy, extreme emotion, and he hits the ground. Got it. Um, He, uh, monkeys, by the way, if monkeys see you do that, they will tear you apart. They will take that as a sign of weakness and they'll jump out of the cage and and tear your face. So don't have cataplexy in front of a monkey. Don't fall asleep in front of a monkey. 
Um, he, he thought it was a neurosis of some sort. That was his, so this again is kind of with the, at this time period, like this whole concept of the, the con, like the subconsciousness and, and psycho, psychoanalysis comes soon after this. And so these things are being explored. He thought it was some sort of neurosis. Um, he also hypothesized in several other patients, um, not the wine merchant, that it could have been the result of maybe too much sex. Mm-hmm. Using up all the oxygen that you need for certain parts of the brain that keep you awake. A lot of sex shaming here. Yeah, it's weird. Um, the treatments he used, the treatments that he would recommend for narcolepsy. Um, he w- he had already, by the way, made quite a name for himself uh, treating epilepsy, this mm-hmm. particular doctor, Jeleno. And he developed these Dr. Jeleno's tablets, which were just a combination of bromide and arsenic. Oh, good. That were very popular for the treatment sure. of epilepsy. So he kind of took off of that, and arsenic was a treatment, strychnine, bromides, curare. Uh, there are a bunch of different things that he used, amyl nitrate, hydrotherapy, electricity. He would propose that you cauterize the nape of the neck. Um, Any of those effective? None actually? of them really worked. Oh, no, so sure, he, right. he eventually just kind of abandoned the Silly effort. Silly me. Silly me. Um, he, he basically said like he, his last line on that was, so pretty much after nothing worked, the patient and I both agreed that we would go our separate ways or something. Like, <laughs> Well, it was fun while it lasted, but nobody's getting anywhere. So. I, I wonder if he waited until he fell asleep to sneak out. It was really, it was really um, not until the early 1900s where we start seeing like caffeine is used still. We see ephedrine like as a stimulant that's used. And then finally in the 1950s where we see more stimulant medications like Ritalin, for instance, those kinds of medicines actually being used for, for um, narcolepsy. Oh, are those effective? Uh, stimulants can be. They're not, this would not be like our best bet there. I'm going to tell you about there's some other options, but yeah, I mean, they, they will keep you awake. No. Oh, okay. Great. Um, I, I want to hear uh, uh, some of the others. What are we, what are we doing now? Well, I'm going to get to that, Justin. But first, why don't you follow me to the billing department? Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones50 
and use code SAWBONES50 to get 50% off. That's code SAWBONES50 at factormeals.com slash SAWBONES50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um, is there anything, you know, you mentioned how I sort of had part of the picture, uh, uh, of narcolepsy. Is there anything else that sort of factors into it? Well, one thing that I wanted to feature a little bit more because it was one, it has been historically one of the most misunderstood parts of narcolepsy. Um, because I mean, the idea of people being sleepy or, you know, uh, sleeping a lot, taking a lot of naps, even people passing out is, is probably what they would have thought cataplexy was just somebody passing out is not a strange thing. And there are lots of different things it was confused with, or, you know, the people didn't necessarily have a lot of weird theories about that, but the sleep paralysis, that feature of narcolepsy has been, uh, turned into, I mean, kind of a folklore all its own. Hmm. So sleep paralysis can happen to people who don't have narcolepsy. Uh, you may have experienced it in your life. It is not it, uh, there. I don't want to say it's common, but an isolated event of this once in your life, you may you may have had one. I don't really? think I have. I'm, I'm not to my knowledge. Um, no. I would probably remember that. I hope. Yeah, no, you would. You know, it's uh, let me say I have definitely not. You would remember it. At least I would assume from the descriptions I've read. Um but with narcolepsy, you might have it more more often. And then there are some people who don't have narcolepsy who do have this commonly. So it's a parasomnia, which just means a disorder that happens around the time of sleep. Parasomnia. Got it. Besides sleep. Um, but again, it's associated with narcolepsy. It is usually when you're falling asleep with hmm. narcolepsy, although it can happen when you're waking up too. Okay. And if you don't have narcolepsy, it could be either way. And what is basically happening is the REM cycles of sleep, which is when you dream, the rapid eye movement part of sleep, that's the part of sleep where you dream, uh, that overlaps with waking. They're not supposed, those are distinct times in sure, sleep, right. obviously, right? One's not sleep. REM's like right at the bottom of your sort of sleep Yeah, wave. that's a very deep sleep. Um, REM sleep, it, during that sleep, your body is actually intentionally paralyzed. You know, it kind of turns off your motor centers. 
so to okay. speak. Uh, reason being, this is a good thing. This is a fun. This is a f- an, an important function. If it didn't, you may act out all your dreams. That, that I never really thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. So that's why, if you ever get that feeling like you can't move or talk or whatever with a dream, that's a, that's intentional. Your body's doing that so that you're not wandering all over the place, hurting yourself while you're right. asleep. Okay. Uh, that's a whole other problem if you don't have that you might wander around and act out your dreams. That's that's a problem too. But a different disorder. Exactly. So the problem with uh, sleep paralysis comes when you are trying to fall asleep and the REM starts before you are actually asleep. And this is a common thing with, with narcolepsy. Actually, one of the ways, and I'll get into that, that we diagnose it, is to see how long it takes from the moment you fall asleep to when you hit REM. It's supposed to take a while. People with narcolepsy, they are almost instantly in REM sleep. Does that work out sometimes? Like, sometimes I think that would be kind of nice. I have a hard time falling asleep. No, overall it doesn't. I mean, it, because they have all the symptoms. So overall, I mean, I know it sounds like a good thing, but overall it's it, it it's leading to more disorganized sleep. That makes sense. Um, so either you enter REM before you're actually asleep or you wake up and you're still in REM at the end of sleep. So these are the two times it can happen. Basically, you are awake, but you can't move. Now, you can imagine this is accompanied by fairly significant distress. Sure. You know, that's that's not surprising. A lot of people with this will report a feeling that someone is in the room with them when it's happening, that there's an intruder there and they can't do anything about it, some sort of alien presence, something scary, some nonspecific threat. Um, You know, we give... A lot of times in this show, we give old-timey people a lot of flack for, like, why, why did you just assume that was angels or whatever? But, like, on this one, I sort of want to cut them some slack. That would probably be, like, pretty much the weirdest thing that had ever happened to you. if you're And, like, and uh, uh, in the list of things that you could mistake for something otherworldly, I got paralyzed and then there was a demon in the room would be like pretty high on the list, I think. Well, and that's that's exactly what people thought, that there was a demon in the room. That That is a very common perception and throughout uh, history and folklore and legend and, and kind of our common mythology, you see this across cultures. Now, one thing that I think is interesting to note why why do people have this sensation that somebody is in the room? This is probably related to kind of a survival mechanism. Huh. So in response to a threat, we have the fight or flight right. you know, reaction, right? Sure. We know that if, if something threatens our safety, our security, we get scared, we our heart rate goes up, you know, we get sweaty, we we get ready to run or fight or jump or get out of there, right? Okay. You know, we know that response. Um if you get some sort of stimulus that your body can't understand, mm-hmm. awake but can't move, usually I can move, but at this moment I'm awake and I can't move, The uh, basically our body errs on the side of caution. We interpret Assumes that as a threat. That, we assume okay. a threat. And so then we we begin the feeling that there is a threat nearby. And then however you personify that is probably more related to your culture and your, you know, mm-hmm. you, what your personal beliefs are. Yeah. And, what you have watched on TV the night before. Whatever. <laughs> um, so this was defined. That's why you shouldn't watch The Good Wife, because then you'll imagine that The Good Wife is in the room with you and she's trying to kill you. Is The Good Wife a scary movie, a show? No. Well, no. But when you're paralyzed <laughs> and The Good Wife is lurking in the corner, 
like the girl from the ring, then the good wife gets scary real fast. But she's a good wife, right? Yeah, yeah. When the lights are on, Sydney, when the lights are off and you can't move, then you do not want the good wife in the room with you. <laughs> Never watch the good wife if you think you might have sleep paralysis the night the next night. I didn't know the good wife was a horror program. It's it is when you can't move, Sydney. So Most things are like it, today's special. It what was, if you? What if imagine Jeff? That mannequin with the magic hat was in the room. Let's with you. not get into that. Now that okay, now we're scared. Now you're now, scared. Now it's Ooh, scared. No, I got it in your head. Um, it was defined all the way back in 1755 uh, by Samuel Johnson, actually in a dictionary of the English language, where he groups in a description of sleep paralysis with nightmare. And you'll see that the word nightmare used, like historically, used to describe sleep paralysis, not just a bad dream, but used mm-hmm. to describe sleep paralysis. It was long blamed on demonic possession. So either the reason this happened to you is because there was a demon inside you, or a very common myth is that there was a demon sitting on top of you. Excellent. Great. So the, you see this. There are a lot. If you, if you Google this sleep paralysis or if you look for incubus or succubus, you'll find lots of imagery of a person asleep with a demon sitting on their chest. And it is because you get that feeling like, I can't breathe. I can't move. I'm, you know, you begin to feel like you're suffocating and there's a scary thing in the room. There's something sitting on top of you. And of course, when we talk about incubus and succubus, we're also adding to that like a, a possible sexual component. Because mm-hmm. that's what, you know, what an incubus is and a succubus. They're, uh, an incubus is male, succubus is female. They're demons who supposedly come and can take advantage of you at night. Oh, uh, got it. Okay. Um, in Europe, in the 1800s, it was very fashionable to blame food for this. Huh. That is where, I've always wondered about this, you know in Dickens, in A Christmas Carol, when oh, Scrooge the, says... Uh, undigested bit of beef. Yes, that Marley, the ghost he has seen, is is a, a bit of beef or a spot of gravy or whatever he says he is. That is what he's referencing. Wow. That you might see ghosts or see scary things or demons or whatever if you ate the wrong thing. That makes a lot more sense. Yes. I never understood that, but now I do. It, it You were advised to avoid bad wine, fatty, greasy foods, get plenty of exercise. Uh, from this, throughout most cultures, you get the concept of the night hag. Uh, and the night hag is just the idea that there is this creature that might come and sit on you <laughs> and Ugh. suffocate you and prevent you from moving in the middle of the night. Um, and uh, and I won't get into it. I mean, literally, you can look. There, there's one in in every country, in every history, in every yeah. different culture throughout Earth. They, they go by different names, but it's the same idea every time. And some of them are quite horrific. Um, people still recount, uh, people who have this will still kind of talk about like the feeling maybe they were abducted or maybe they were aliens. So maybe mm. some of those stories, maybe alien, they're related that makes to this. Sense. You wake up, you can't move. And all of a sudden, if you're, especially if you're afraid of aliens already. Exactly. Or an out of body experience or a near death experience. Some, so there's some theory like, well, maybe this was actually sleep paralysis. Um, the, there's a documentary about it called the nightmare that came out last year. That's all about this. Um, it looks too so, spooky. We haven't walked, worked up the nerve to watch it yet. That's exactly right, because it looks very scary. Uh, now, just to get back to narcolepsy in general, so that you know kind of where we are, a lot of what we understand now about narcolepsy really comes from the discovery that this happens in dogs. Hmm. So in the 1970s, oh, we did a lot of studies understanding uh, narcolepsy in Labradors, Beagles, and Dobermans. Okay. And that helped us a lot to understand human narcolepsy. Sure. Um, there are some thoughts that maybe there's an autoimmune role 
in some of it, then maybe it's an autoimmune disease hmm. um, for, for especially people with cataplexy, uh, but we're not completely certain. And a lot of it has to stem from that you don't have enough of something called hypocretins or orexins, which are just these things that are released in the brain from a certain part of the brain, and their job is to keep you awake. Oh. And if you don't have enough of those, you're not awake enough. So... That's probably where it's coming from. We're beginning to understand that. And maybe someday we can come up with a really great drug that'll target exactly that yeah. to keep people awake and to help treat narcolepsy. I imagine there's not a huge market to get that drug developed, though. Well, it's a, yeah, it's hard when they're rare diseases. They're always harder to get enough research funding for that. Sure. Um, if you think you have it, they do a sleep study and then they do a test like I talked about to see how fast. It's a sleep latency test to see how fast you get into that REM sleep and that can diagnose it. Um, it's usually treated with things that will stimulate your cerebrum. Mm. So stimulants that we talked about, there are, are things crank. like uh, Provigil. Crank. No, not crank. Nope, nope, not crank. Um, crank as well. And then actually GHB. Oh. But unfortunately, we probably know as the date rape drug. Yeah. Uh, GHB is actually does have a medical use for cataplexy. Um. That uh, that's 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 wild. It's a lot it goes a lot deeper than I ever knew, Sydney. Yeah, there's a lot more to narcolepsy. It's very poorly understood, and we still need. I mean, even on the medical end, we still need to do a lot of research to treat this better and to diagnose people better because there are probably people who have narcolepsy who have not been. The, there's a huge delay in diagnosis. A mm. lot of people wait many years just thinking. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm tired all the time before they finally get diagnosed. So if you're having sleep problems, um. It may not be your baby. It's worth checking out, <laughs> going and seeing your doctor and seeing is, is is there something else going on? You never know. Thanks to the MaximumFun.org network for making us a part of their uh, extended podcast family. And thank you to you for listening. Uh, we, we really appreciate you so much. Uh, I don't think we recorded since we released this episode. So thanks to DC and New York for being so cool to us. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, the whole there. cities. We're the whole, all, the yeah. whole cities there. They were lined up around several blocks to get into the shows. <laughs> oh, thank you all. That was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Uh, thanks to the taxpayers for listening to user song medicine since the intro of our program. Uh, that is going to do it for us for this week. Until uh, next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.